Welcome to the Harvard and Tech Seattle podcast, and I'm your host, Stephen Harper. This is episode 7, and today's guest is Ziad Ismail. Ziad is responsible for data science, design, product management, and program management. Before Convoy, Ziad was the chief product officer of Marchex, chief executive officer of CityKey, and served in other leadership roles at Microsoft. Ziad earned an MBA from Harvard Business School and a master's in computer science from the Royal Institute of Technology in Sweden. Hi, Ziad. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Awesome. So what got you interested in tech? I grew up in Sweden and I lived in an apartment complex that was pretty close to a large shopping mall. And at some point they installed the arcade machines and me and a couple of friends from the neighborhood, we'd go there and you know play the early arcade games. That was kind of my first exposure with computers through uh, arcade games. Eventually, when I was about 10 years old, I was able to convince my dad to buy me a small computer. It was a VIC-20, the predecessor to the Commodore 64. And I started off entering programs that you'd find in magazines and kind of running them and seeing what happened. And that was really the start of it. Ever since, I've kind of just been fascinated by computers and technology. It's an incredible industry. It's just developed so much. How would you say your experience at Harvard influenced you to be who you are now? Harvard Business School was a path for me both to learn lots of skills. My underlying background was uh, in science and mathematics, computer science and mathematics. Uh, And so I, I just learned a whole bunch around marketing, strategy, finance, accounting. And then it really gave me opportunity to join all these incredible companies. I eventually decided after having done an internship at Microsoft to join Microsoft full time. So Harvard was, I think, transformational, both in the sense of uh, education, but also opening up opportunities for, for an international student. What do you remember most from your Harvard experience? I would say there are probably two parts to it. There's kind of academic and social, and both of them were you know, incredibly enriching and super fun and stimulating. On the academic side, I remember taking classes with um, Professor Christensen, Clay Christensen. It was a highly sought after class. Taking the classes in person and just having him walk through his thinking and be able to do Q&A with him was unbelievable. And I'd say on the social side, I just made lots and lots of friends from many different backgrounds, many different countries, many different experiences before that. During the two years at business school, we also traveled to lots of different places. So I traveled to India, Brazil, and several other other places with my classmates. Both of those were unbelievable experiences that uh, I I still remember. Awesome. Yeah, Clayton Christensen, I want to talk a little bit about that. What was it about his classes that were uh, so uh, enlightening? He really pushed on economics and business as a theory. So he started the class talking about what makes for good theory, as opposed to things that um, sound interesting. He was trying to understand the evolution of companies, why certain companies were successful, why sometimes startups were able to outcompete larger companies, and why sometimes larger companies were able to kind of fend off startups. 
And the thing I found really interesting in the class was also the demeanor he brought. He really listened to the students. He was just incredible at incorporating ideas and was willing to be challenged on his own theory. Those were some of the things that were really memorable. I think anybody who's taken his class would tell you what a humble person he was. What is something you're an expert in that is not related to work? I have some pretty, I think, esoteric sources of uh, knowledge based on things that have fascinated me over time. One that's quite unusual is probably comic books and uh, kind of superheroes. So it's incredible to see the renaissance in superheroes may have pretty much taken over the you know large part of the movie industry. The incredible thing about that is that I get to spend time with my kids. And I just have all this knowledge about all the first appearances, the origins. Every time I go back to Sweden, I move part of my comic book collection back with me to the U.S. That's probably an area that I have deep expertise in, not related to my work or technology. Sweet. Uh, What kind of comics? I was mainly a Marvel collector. I love Daredevil run by Frank Miller. And then I, I got into Alan Moore's work. So, you know, Swamp Thing and then eventually Watchmen. And I think the comic book industry is fascinating. There's so much deep content that's being kind of harvested today and being transformed into movies. Totally. There's a ton of movies coming out, especially from Marvel and the DC Universe that is mind-blowing, but it's always action-packed and fun to watch. I don't know why DC hasn't succeeded as well. I mean, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies were really good, but I think, I think they've struggled with getting the right balance of, you know, kind of humor, world building. Also, I don't know if you've seen the boys series on Amazon. It's like a little bit like a Watchmen take it. It's in a world where people that have superpowers get psychologically corrupted and think of themselves as, you know, gods or lawless people and what happens. It's kind of a, another fascinating take. And I think it's really well done. So what would you say is an underrated skill that is glossed over? I would say one skill or attribute that I think is probably not getting the recognition that it should is simply the importance of hard work. I think there's been a movement towards fewer work hours, work-life balance, etc. And all those things are meaningful and important but i also know that you know some of the best work i've done uh, has been when i've worked you know extraordinarily long hours to uh, ship things and make things happen i think this is one of the challenges today of tech organizations where you want to make everything very comfortable on the other hand the reality is that if you're going to do really really great things there are times where you really want to push exceptionally hard I think that's been lost a little bit in, uh, in the tech industry, and I think it's underappreciated as one of the qualities that drives great work, but also drives, I think, career growth and career progression. Yeah, I want to touch a little on that, that it, it reminds me of uh, Calvin Newport's book talking about deep work in which you, you do spend a lot of time with uh, something in particular that you become uh, like just really entrenched, and that's when you do your best work. So that's, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. And I think the requirement for it to really work has to be that you're fascinated by the work uh, and you actually enjoy it. 
Because I think it's difficult to push really hard on something that's not interesting to you and not fascinating to you. And so I think the first thing you have to do is find a problem space that you think is going to be really stimulating. And then within that, find the opportunities that are really going to be challenging as well. I think if you have those conditions, it's possible to push really, really hard without feeling the emotional strain that uh, you, can, you can otherwise do. Speaking a little bit on strain, and since we're here in the morning, what does your morning routine look like? Yeah, because I have two boys, my morning routine varies a little bit depending on whether I'm dropping them off at school or whether my wife is dropping them off at school. In general, the thing I try to do if I am not able to do it in the morning is to build in kind of exercise. I used to have that built into my routine. So I would walk into work uh, every day and then I would walk back. And I was fortunate enough that, you know, that is a possibility. So I'd have roughly an hour and a half of very light exercise every morning. I found that to be incredibly helpful in terms of before sitting down at a desk or before going into a meeting. That's not been possible in the same way post-COVID. And so what I'm doing now is really focusing on getting an hour of exercise uh, every single day. So we've started a competition within uh, Convoy. We all are connected through the kind of Apple Watch exercise. And there's kind of a leaderboard. And that brings, I think, some of the fun to the competition, which is the impetus for exercise. Beyond that, I try to get some time before my first meetings just to set up my day. I'm driven by figuring out what's important, you know, this month, this week, and then this day. So each day I try to say, like, these are the things I have to get done. And then by the end of the day, I kind of look to make sure that I've checked those off. Those are kind of my main two routines. Sweet. What does your exercise routine look like, actually? It's mainly cardio. So these days it's mainly running and sometimes cycling as well. I am uh, trying to spend as much time as possible outdoors. There are lots of hiking trails within an hour or two hours of Seattle. I think I've been up to Rainier probably five times so far this season, kind of hiking some of the trails in Rainier uh, and then doing some of the other trails out uh, up in the mountains. And that's what I like about Washington, or at least in Seattle in particular, it's that there's so many different hiking trails. It's like we're a big tech hub, but at the same time, we also have this great outdoor experience and the environment. And it's just yeah. something that I don't think I would see from other cities. I was back in Sweden visiting my parents and my family uh, about a month ago. And so I went to some of the national parks around Stockholm. It's beautiful, but it's not the same. The kind of mountains, the views, Seattle really has something special. So talking a little bit about Convoy, or at least digging a little bit into it, Convoy has had an explosive rise. So I was just curious about how did the company accelerate since 2018? So Convoy is uh, going after one of the largest industries in the world, which is the transportation industry. It's one of these kind of large industries alongside healthcare, energy, education, that is unbelievably large, but also incredibly inefficient. And so what Convoy has done is we've looked at this industry and we've said that if we can tackle that waste, we can create something that's more valuable to all the players, the shippers, the truck drivers, and then to Convoy as well as kind of a marketplace connecting everything. Um, and so what we've done successively since the founding in 2015 is we track individual shipments and we collect lots of data. And so we can understand patterns. We can understand, you know, why is a truck being delayed? 
Why is it driving empty? And then when we find these patterns, we think about the solutions we can apply through technology. And as we build that efficiency, our value proposition to both sides of this marketplace strengthens. And that's really what's been driving the acceleration in certainly over the past couple of years. Great. So when you mention waste, uh, what are the points that you're saying are waste in the trucking industry? The most painful one is the empty miles. Empty miles means that a truck is driving on the highway and there's nothing in the truck. It's empty. The reason it's empty is that solving the scheduling problem is really difficult. And so what ends up happening is you might drive from say Seattle down to San Francisco, but once you're in San Francisco, you don't have any work. So you end up driving back empty to Seattle to get back to your family or to your home. Mm. It's kind of a classic computer science problem, but it's made much more complex where a minute after you've done your planning, everything has already changed. Shippers may have canceled certain shipments, the loading time, you have a flat tire, there's an accident on the road. So this thing is highly dynamic, which makes it really difficult to schedule optimally to start and makes it impossible to schedule optimally on an ongoing basis for humans. This is where computers come in. You can have a real-time system that's picking up all this data through sensors, through GPS signals, information from shippers, looking at this entire system and constantly re-optimizing it. If you've ever used Waze for navigation, you know, Waze will tell you, hey, you're driving on this highway. It looks like there's an accident. Maybe turn off here and drive this alternative route. Imagine doing that, but instead of doing it for one car at a time, you're doing it for millions of trucks and you're thinking about multiple days in the future. That's the problem space that uh, we're going after. And that's one of the biggest sources of waste and pollution. Got it. I didn't realize how deep it can go, but I can definitely see the multiple variables that will have to be taken into account, such as, well, maybe accidents. So that's a big one. What would you say are some emerging technologies that you think will impact the product management in the near future? I guess I have two perspectives on it. The first one is that a lot of people that have um, the kind of work in product management, they have a background typically in computer science. It's not required, but I think some familiarity or, or literacy in computer science tends to help make better decisions. The rise of data science, I think, is a similarly important thing to have in the toolkit. And every product manager should understand the basics of machine learning. In a couple of weeks, you can you know, complete online courses to get the foundational understanding of how some of these models work. I think computer science, data science are going to be kind of twin engines that are going to drive technology for the foreseeable future. Beyond that, there are lots of other technologies that are interesting, but product management, I think, is not necessarily a discipline where the best product managers have the most advanced tools. Product management, I think, is much more about understanding the, the strategy, inspiring the team, building the right structure so the team can execute well and unblocking them. Um, and kind of hiring and bringing in talent. I think those things will continue to be true. We haven't invested heavily in building lots of different tools for our product team. Instead, I think we focus on getting the foundation right in terms of how we build the right systems, teams, etc. Gotcha. So what would you say is the biggest challenge Convoy is facing right now? I think there are, there are a couple of big challenges. The internal challenge we have is one that's shared with most companies right now 
We are now in a place where committed to our team to have much more flexibility. Convoy's policy, in fact, is highly flexible. And I think for many people, very attractive, which is we don't require any days in the office. We trust people to do their work and we trust managers to understand what great work looks like without needing to look which hours somebody is, you know, coming into the office and leaving the office. I think that's the old way of managing things. That change, I don't think we fully understand uh, how it's going to work. And I think in particular, as we notice some people coming back into the office and some people being outside of the office, I think it's going to be quite messy. We are working through it like every other company. I think in the end, it will be kind of a productive outcome, but I think there's going to be a messy couple of years for the whole industry and people that, that have kind of these workplaces with you know, a mix of offices and uh, remote work. I'd say that that's our biggest internal challenge that we're going to have to figure out over the next couple of years. And that is actually a place where there may be some new tooling and some new technology that we'll need to adopt to kind of make that uh, easier. On the business and technology side, what's happened is that we have grown uh, incredibly quickly. Now, as we think about the next couple of years of Convoy, there are some really large opportunities that we see as we envision taking out more waste, reducing more of these empty miles and benefiting the environment. But to do that, we have to re-engineer uh, and re-architect a bunch of our systems. And so there's a question around how do we make this longer range bet while also feeding the current business that is growing very, very quickly and has a lot of upside. And so that's the discussion that we spend a lot of time on uh, internally. Gotcha. So does Convoy have plans to expand into other markets? Yeah, it depends a little bit on what you mean by markets. The most obvious one that people often think about is uh, geographies. We started in the Pacific Northwest, and then we've expanded gradually across the U.S. Our business is a geographically driven marketplace, and so getting density is really important for our model. We've been very deliberate not to expand too quickly into new markets without ensuring that we have highly functioning, very efficient markets in our existing places already. At this point, we're covering all of the U.S., and we have recently started doing work in Canada as well. It's worth considering that the U.S. market alone for trucking is about $800 billion. So it is a gigantic industry. Even today, it is highly fragmented. And so we have a lot of growth in the U.S. One place that we've expanded is we've gone after other truck types. And the biggest shift we've made is we focused our business really on a pure marketplace where we matched shippers with truck drivers that had had their own trucks. This is called the live part of the business where you bring a truck in and then it gets loaded in real time. The other part of the market is about as large and it's called the drop part of the market where you bring in a trailer ahead of time. That trailer gets preloaded. They, they already have a preloaded trailer and so they can just hook into a trailer and then drive out. And so they can do that in minutes rather than hours. This was one of the places where there was a lot of waste. Truck drivers just waiting around, idling their trucks as they were waiting for their trucks to get loaded. This is a program that actually introduced a lot of new complexity, which is good for Convoy. Convoy being kind of a tech science-driven company, complexity tends to be helpful for us. Not that we want to make things complex, but complex problem spaces work very well for machines. 
And so this has been one of the fastest growing parts of our business. We've been expanding, I say, geographically very thoughtfully and very carefully. And instead, we've been trying to focus on building a lot of density in fewer markets and then expanding as we gain density. Got it. So what are some lessons you would like to share with the audience? I have a couple of observations and lessons. One is I have generally chosen to work with people I like and respect. And where for some reason I have misjudged that and it hasn't worked out, I've quickly made a change. That has allowed me to really focus on having great people around me, great people I trust. I sometimes see people in jobs that they aren't happy in and they aren't happy with the structure around them and they don't think they can do their best work, yet they stick around. I understand that not everybody is fortunate enough to make those choices, but if you can, and many people in tech, we are fortunate enough to make those choices. I would say that is a good time to make a change. That is a good time to go do something different. There are, there are lots of opportunities in this industry. Second thing, which was a lesson I learned at Convoy is that transforming a traditional industry is really difficult, but is also one of the most rewarding things you can do. Prior to Convoy, I'd worked mainly in pure tech problems, things like search relevance, ad targeting, routing, mapping. Coming to Convoy, I had to start thinking about how the real world interacts with computer systems. There's so many more things that can go wrong in a tech system that operates in the real world compared to a algorithm that is purely operating with bits. I think there's a importance for tech to go after these bigger problems. I think some of society's biggest problems are in energy, education, transportation, healthcare. There is a shortage of technical adoption within these industries, which also creates, I think, gigantic opportunities. And then the final thing I'd say, it's easy to think about these spaces and think that a, a pure software solution is going to work. You build some software, you stand up a website, and then you can change one of these big traditional industries. I think what I learned at Convoy is to think about the whole customer problem. For a customer to love the experience with Convoy, here are all the things that need to be true. And then we said at each stage, like when Convoy first started, there was a small set of things that we were going to automate. And there were a small set of things that we we're going to apply computer and data science to. And then over time, that has grown. But the thing that's remained constant is that we've kept a focus on what's the whole solution we need to deliver to customers for them to be excited about working with Convoy. Those are three observations I, I have on careers and specifically some more recent experiences at Convoy. Awesome. Uh, how can people reach you? The easiest way to reach me is through LinkedIn. What typically works best is if you, know, you reach out and you add some context around how I can be helpful or why you want to connect. I found LinkedIn to be the best, I think, social network for connecting with other people and uh, getting in touch. So what are some of the developments you'd like to highlight from the past few years? Yeah, in terms of big milestones at Convoy, the one that's been most rewarding to me has been something called automated reloads. What it means in practice is that rather than matching jobs to truck drivers one job at a time, what we now do at Convoy is that we will find these optimal routes 
and then match the whole route and say, hey, take this whole thing as a package. Not surprisingly, computers are much better at finding these routes. You know, if you think about just having a thousand shipments available in a marketplace and you're trying to figure out which three shipments should I try to do this week, that is already a billion different permutations that you have to consider, you know, a thousand mm -hmm. power of three effectively. We have far in excess of a thousand shipments on any given day. And so the number of permutations are far more than a billion. Computers are very good at sorting through those and figuring out exact ways I should package this to create optimal routes through the network. What we find is that when we offer these automated reloads, we can reduce empty miles by 30 to 40%. That means those empty miles get cut down 30 to 40%. That's a very, very big impact environmentally. And as we scale our network and build more and more density, we're going to find more of these reloads and they're going to get more and more efficient. That has probably been the most exciting development. And that is one of the areas that we're investing deeply in. And, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, the beauty of Seattle and the nature that's around us. That's one of the reasons I have really enjoyed working at Convoy from the very start. As we do better and better as a business, we directly impact CO2 emissions and the environment. There are many other things we've built, but that has been the kind of consistent theme. The waste leads to both economic and environmental improvements. So what would you say is a future threat to Convoy? The biggest challenge for us um, is not that we've made the wrong bet strategically. I think it's pretty clear that we're on the right side of history on this one. The biggest risk to us is just uh, execution. If we don't hire the right people, if we don't build the right systems that allow our people to be excited and execute well, then another company can surpass us. But in terms of our strategic approach and our current industry position, I feel incredibly good about where we are today. Thanks for coming onto the show, Ziad. Steven, thank you so much for inviting me. It was great to catch up. Awesome. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. You can find us by email, LinkedIn, or Facebook at Harvard and Tech Seattle. Links will be in the show notes. Thank you.